and the iron laws of geometrical progression are shouting at us from the graphs that we risk many more deaths. All of the numbers right now when it comes to COVID-19 seems to be moving in the wrong direction. Uh, a second wave uh, coming in, we've seen it in, in France, we've seen it in Spain, across, across Europe it's been absolutely, uh, I'm afraid, inevitable. But this signal that we're seeing a really sharp rise in cases. Confirmed daily cases of coronavirus rose again today to 4,422. The number of cases has been rising rapidly. And what we'll see is there are certain hotspots. There's been an increase in cases across all age groups. But we can see this number of cases accelerating. We quickly move from really quite small numbers to really very large numbers uh, because of that exponential process. To prevent this from growing exponentially. The virus has started to spread again in an exponential way. A decision has been made to impose further We're restrictions. We're prepared to do what it takes to, boot, to protect life. We will enforce those rules with tougher penalties. You see that by mid-October, if that continued, you would end up with something like 50,000 cases. And the, the iron laws of geometrical progression are shouting at us from the graphs that we risk many more deaths. Hi there. So you've seen the numbers are going up. What we're going to be looking at today is whether or not those numbers could be down to a statistical artifact. Actually, a statistical artifact that's very well known in the medical sciences that the government is being told about that isn't being acted upon. So when you get your results, what we're seeing is levels of cases going up based on a PCR test, not based on symptoms of disease. And we've got to understand there are differences there. And the PCR test invented in the 1980s by Dr. Carrie Munns, who said, don't use this test to diagnose respiratory diseases and viruses. We're exposed to thousands of viruses and we're looking for a needle in the haystack. On the coronavirus specifically, we're looking for a gene sequence that occurs on protein. And that sequence, whatever has been taken in the nasopharyngeal swab sample, is amplified many times, over 40 times. And if it finds the exact sequence that relates to this, you get a positive result. So, of course, when you get that positive result, you either hear that you've got a positive result that you are infected, or you get a negative result. But the important thing to understand is that no test is 100% accurate. And so in the real world, you do get false positives and false negatives. So I'm going to show you now how that works out and how some of the key metrics that are used by manufacturers, by governments work out and why the PCR test itself becomes less and less accurate the less disease there is out there in the community. So we know that the PCR test may not be 100% accurate, but what you really want to know is, do you or do you not have the virus? And obviously, if you're not infected, hey, that's great news. Um, if you are infected, it's not so good news. But what you really need to know is, is the result when you get a positive test a true positive or not? And if you get a negative test result, is it a true negative? Because 
the precision of the test is not going to be 100%. There's always going to be, particularly not in the real world, there's going to be a degree of false positives as there is going to be a degree of false negatives. And interestingly, the chances of having a true positive or, tr or a false negative or false positive or true negative is going to be dependent on what happens out in the field. And we know that even though the labs that and the manufacturers who make the tests often claim they have a very low false um, positive or false negative rate, we know in the field you can get considerably more. So the percentages um, may go down and that may be down to things like um, the timing of the test. We know that if, if you've had the infection for more than five days, the test is not going to be as accurate. Um, we also know that uh, depending on how the swab sample is taken, the viral load on it, that will change it. We know that other factors like smoking can also make a difference to, to the, um, the test results. But the reality is that the manufacturers claim two metrics to justify um, high precision or accuracy of the test that aren't accuracy at all. And I'll show you this in a minute. So the first thing they do is show you that what the false negative rate or the true positive rate is going to be um, by looking at sensitivity. And they might decide to quote a level that is very high that makes us think that, wow, only in 1%, 1 in 100 people, might we get a false negative. And I'll explain in a minute why that isn't the case at all. This is measured using a laboratory test under laboratory conditions, ideal conditions. And um, it's a closed black box system. And equally, the other metric they look at is called specificity. And specificity may also be claimed at a very high level, say 99% as well. Now, the problem is if you go into BAT and you get your test results and you think that you have nearly 100% accuracy in your test, you're going to be wrong. And the main reason for that goes down to probability theory. And this is something that all medical doctors, all biomedical students learn at university or at medical school. It's stuff that's been fed to governments, it's been fed to the WHO, but no one is taking any notice of it. What we're saying is that if you get your test results, particularly when the amount of virus in the community, as it is at the moment, the prevalence is low, because the false positive rate will go up, the likelihood of your test being a true positive goes down. And we're going to show you in a minute. What we need to be calculating is two additional statistics. Um, and these link to prediction. So the positive predicted value will tell you what the chances of your positive infection test being a true result, what it is, and then your negative predictive value here will tell you what the chances, if you're not infected, what the chances of you having a true negative result. And what you'll see is that the level goes down. Now, that theory was first initiated around what the effect of prior knowledge is on predicting an event in the future by Reverend Thomas 
Bays. So that was back in um, 1763, two years after he died. Um, Bayes' Bayes's theorem was published. And it was not until the 1950s that really computer modeling started to look at Bayesian statistics and how probability theory could, could be developed to get a higher level of accuracy for diagnostic and screening tests. And the amazing thing is this, this is all stuff that's known today. And where we are at, the kind of prevalence levels that, of, of coronavirus that we see in the community at the moment means that we have an extremely high chance of having false positives. And I want to now take you to um, some basic calculators that you can use yourself to test what the accuracy of getting a true positive result is if you're in an area with very low prevalence. And it's pretty shocking. So here we are, we've got the computer open, we're on MedCalc. This allows us to calculate the probability that a test is a true result. So you recall that the sensitivity is the chance of people who test as positive really having the virus, and the specificity is the chance of people who test negative really being clear of it, being reassured for good reason. Manufacturers often claim high levels of both of these from their lab tests using reference standards and otherwise perfect conditions. But the trouble is we don't have a true gold standard to confirm what's a true positive or true negative, especially not in the field. We also know that real-world factors come into play and they'll often reduce both sensitivity and specificity a few percentage points. So for our example, let's assume we've got a PCR test with claimed 99% sensitivity and specificity. We then reduce both of these to 95% to deal with real-world conditions. We then take a population of, say, 10,000 people. We'd expect if they were all exposed to the virus for 95% of them, or 9,500, to score positive. So these would be true positives and we'll enter them in here. Um, we'd also expect 5% or 500 of them to be false negatives. That's down to the error in the test, and that gives us the 95% sensitivity. So we'll put those in there. Same goes for another 10,000 people who were never exposed to the virus. You get 95% of them, also 9,500 of them, who are true negatives because they uh, are correctly showing that they don't have virus and we'd have because of the five percent error we'd have another 500 of them you'll see that a and c equals 10,000 b and d are 10,000 and you'll see a little box here at the bottom that allows us to enter whatever disease prevalence is around so if we're now to put in a hundred percent prevalence so um, the disease is absolutely everywhere and we test for, here's the sensitivity and specificity. We then have disease prevalence 100%. You can see the positive predictive value is 100%. Um, let's now look at more realistic levels. 20% is still high. And um, you'll see once we've tested for this, the level comes down to 83%. Positive predictive value is 83%. Now, most of us would still be pretty happy that if we got a positive test, there was an 83% chance of it being accurate. The problems begin when you get to the kind of levels of prevalence that we have at the moment. In the UK, 
on average, based again on PCR tests, which may not be giving absolutely accurate result, but the um, level is currently 0.11%. Um, if we test for that, you'll see that the positive predictive value is only around 2%. That means that if you get a positive test, there's a 98% chance of it being wrong. And if you go to areas of the UK that at the lowest, the West Midlands or the Southwest, which is currently sitting at 0.04, the positive predictive value is less than 1%. So it's more than a 99% chance that your positive test is wrong. Now, people are not being told that when they get a positive test result, but it's being treated as if it's a true positive when in areas of low prevalence, it's much, much, much more likely to be a false positive. So we've seen how the false positive rate goes through the roof when the prevalence goes down. And it may be a bit confusing why that happens. The principles behind this Bayesian theory is that it's a bit like a needle in a haystack. If you have a very large haystack and you're looking for a real needle, you will have a greater probability of finding things that look like needles that aren't a real needle. And of course, what we're also seeing is that the number of tests is, are going up. And um, one of the interesting things that the dialogue that's going on now is determining, well, how much of that could be to do with false positives and how much is to do with increased frequency of testing. And of course, if the test numbers are going up, it's much more likely to, to be to do with the frequency of testing going up. If you look at the latest figures from um, ONS, you'll see that there's a clear pattern of an upward trend to test more and more people. And, and of course, the really important statistic is, is the positivity rate. How many of the tests being conducted are positive? And that's still staying well below the 5% level. Yes, there's a little bit of change, but there isn't a consistent trend, as you'll see from our latest uh, graph that takes the ONS figures and looks at the positivity rate. So the, the upward movement could largely be an illusion linked to more and more testing. But the important thing, the probability of each of those tests correctly predicting that there is coronavirus in that sample when you get a positive test is going down where the prevalence is very, very, very low. And that's what people are not being told. So the basic question we've got to be asking our, our governments is why are we not being told about the probability of testing accuracy? Why do we continue to hear there isn't a problem because there's only a 1% false positive rate when in fact where you have low prevalence, it can mean that test result that has a big bearing on an individual about whether they are likely or not likely to be carrying infection. So we've got to get real on this. If you want to find out more information about it, please go to our website, anhinternational.org. Um, go to our um, special domain on COVID, covidzone.org, and you'll find loads more information. Let's keep it real and let's stick with the science. <music>